made of last night. So uh, we're not going to have all four uh, of the main lessons available. There was a Sunday morning Bible class that was the covenant. Uh, in fact, some of y'all were wanting copies of that. I have it there a couple of ways on the table. Uh, and you can email me if we run out. There's only got one left. Or one, of these. Uh, one of the things is I've got the covenant lesson is built into the heaven book. And I have lots of heaven books. It's just at the end of, I think it's chapter 3. And I go through the steps of the covenant that we talked about in Bible class. A lot of people were asking about that because it was a great way to discuss baptism and what baptism is really about. And um, I've also got a video, is one of eight videos from my heaven book. So if you're wanting the video series to use in a small group or Bible class, there's, there's only one set of those videos left. But if you email me or you're interested in that, if we run out, I'll, I could get more of those to you. Uh, the good news is... You know, the bad news is we didn't get all four uh, of the main lessons. The good news is I do have CDs that have the four main lessons that I cover in the, in the series at all the different churches. Uh, on uh, a little white CD, it says Demons Versus Prayer. And it's the exact same title, Lessons, that you see on the advertisement and it was on the flyer. So if you, you, know, if you need uh, a copy to share with somebody... Uh, I've still got quite a few of those left, but if we run out, I, I mail them out all the time. My, my website... Uh, hopehelphealing.com and prayerthoughts.com are being integrated into one website right now, but hopehelphealing.com and prayerthoughts.com, they're both listed on my card. The business cards are free, so if you, if you want some other resources like that. Also, for those of you who like to do podcasts or have kids that do podcasts, you want to share this kind of stuff, uh, I'm starting that radio program on July 13th, and we're going to save each of those audio files from from the different, from every week when we do these, and we're going to make them available for people that want to subscribe to podcasts and listen. Uh, and we're going to have people calling in and asking questions on the radio live on some of the uh, some of the episodes. So uh, uh, that radio program is also broadcast on the internet, so you can get to it from anywhere. And there's a flyer back there about that. Uh, me and uh, a preacher named Lonnie Murphy in the Longview area will be will joint host uh, that. Uh, also, another free thing that's back there, maybe a lot of y'all didn't see it, but there's a stack of papers right in front of the stakes, the, the red stakes, that says stake procedures. And feel free to get those. Those are free. We made extra copies here in the church office. If you run out, we'll make more. Some people want extra copies just to give to somebody if they want to make their own stakes. It's got the verses listed on the back. You know, there's no magic in my stakes. Uh, I mean, many of y'all have bought stakes, and I appreciate you helping my ministry, but but it's, it's the power in the Word of God, not in buying a stake from me. This is not about me. And so if you just want the verses, that paper has all the verses on the back. It also shows the quote. They're quoted from the New Living Translation, because you may look it up in a New International Version or New American Standard. It may read different, and you go, why did he pick that verse? But if you see it in the version I picked it from, uh, you'll go, oh, that makes a little more sense. Uh, I did add one verse once this guy was willing to spend $10,000 to make this mold so the verses are built on the stakes. I added Genesis 1-1, which says God created the heavens and the earth. And the reason I added that verse is uh, that just shows biblically that God is the deed holder to planet earth. It's his. He made it, and it's his. And since we're children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, we're in the royal family, so we have the right to stake it out. So that was the idea behind adding, adding that. But now that the verses are built into the stakes on the sides, the front of the stake is blank where we used to have the stickers. And so what a, what a lot of people are doing, and this same information sheet gives you some ideas about that, 
is they're taking the front of the stake and getting a magic marker and putting things unique to their family. Maybe they're putting their favorite verses added to the verses that are built in the stakes. Or they're writing their names or their family names or their issues. No more fear. No more depression in this house. No more drugs. No more alcohol. Whatever your, your issues are that, are that are beginning to control your life, you want to stop it and turn back to God and yield that to Him, they're writing those things and putting it in the ground is, is adding that act of faith uh, to that idea. So those are free, and get those in the back if you want. The other, I try to mention a couple of the other resources. People keep asking questions, and I, I don't want to go over them all one night. There's several other books by other authors that I, that I share. We, we swap books and help each other because I meet people they don't meet, and, and they meet people I don't meet. There's a book called Christ at the Coffee Shop, and it's by Nathan Ingram. He's a Harding graduate. He owns a hospital in the Conroe area, very strong Christian man. And he wrote this book, and it's a great little uh, tidbits of growing up on a farm in Tennessee with a very godly father. And one of the reasons I bring this book, and I especially uh, uh, mention this book and promote it at men's retreats when I do those, is because a lot of us men don't read very much. And we need to be in the habit of reading so we'll be in the scriptures more. And we can, uh, you can hold my attention span for two pages, and a lot of these stories are just two pages long, and I can put it down. So we men that have short attention spans, uh, Christ in the Coffee Shop is a good little book to get started, or a good little Christmas present. So I sell Nathan's book for him. Also, um, I, I lead a small group at my, at my house on Sunday nights. We have a small group every Sunday night at home where I live in Longview. And um, most of them, I'm actually the youngest one in our group. My wife is even older than me. I don't tell her. I said that in front of everybody. But anyway, she, is she here? Don't shoot. Um, we just went through this book in our small group study, and it's a book on the Holy Spirit. We don't talk much about the Holy Spirit. Garth Black uh, has spent 60 years in ministry. He was a friend of my dad's when my dad was doing mission work in upstate New York, and Garth now is retired and lives in Bakersfield, California. But his life work is, is represented in this book. It's called Empowered by the Grace of God, a study of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. And it's a very good study. We've had great discussion. Most of the ones in our group are in their late 60s all the way up to age 91. And we've had the, the most fun in a small group with this little book of anything we've ever studied together. And it's been a very uh, enlightening thing and encouraging thing. Uh, and let me just share one story with you that, that reminds me of this book. This happened to me. I did a men's retreat in uh, northwest Arkansas near... Uh, Rogers and Bentonville, where Walmart is up there, the small church, and uh, it was a weekend men's retreat, and I met a young guy named Travis, and uh, Travis is one of those guys just walked up my, to my book table and handed me a credit card and said, I want one of everything. <laughs> he was just one of those kind of guys. He was just, we made friends, and he was interested in what I was doing, and in the course of that weekend, um, I learned that he had, he and his wife were having some marital problems. And so uh, it had been two years since I'd seen Travis. We made friends that weekend, and I had his phone number in my cell phone. And uh, one day I'm in line at the post office to get some stamps, and out of the blue, for no reason, I thought of Travis. And so I thought, well, there's no reason for me to think of Travis. Maybe I should call him. And uh, so I bought my stamps, and I was going to walk out and call him, and I ran into an old friend who's coming into the post office, and we got to visiting, and I forgot to call Travis. And I went on to the bank, which was my next stop, and I was in line at the bank, and I thought of Travis again, out of the blue for no reason. So I said, okay, Lord, I'll do it now. And I got out of line, I walked outside, and I called Travis. And, uh, and he had my number in his phone, too. He said, Steve, how you doing? I said, hey, Travis, it's so good to talk to you. How you doing? 
He said, I'm great. How are you? And I said, well, I'm great. I just felt like I should call you. How's your marriage? How are you, how are you doing? How's life going? And, and you and your wife, are, are you doing better? And he said, uh, everything's great. Got a promotion, moved to a bigger house, closer to work. Everything's just great. And I said, well, great. I guess I didn't need to call you then. I just kind of felt like I should for some reason. He said, hold on just a second. Let me shut the door. Boom, you hear the door shut. He starts bawling like a baby. And I let him finish sobbing, and I said, what's wrong? And he said, I've been looking at, looking at pornography, and I know it's going to ruin my life. I've got to stop. And I said, get help. Confess it now. It's, you're letting Satan have a right in your life, and uh, uh, it's going to ruin you. He said, you're right. Thank you for calling. Thank you for being part of my life. You know? And so uh, I hung up the phone feeling good, and I'm going to tell you, only God can do that. Have you ever called somebody and said, how are you doing? It's, oh, man, I'm glad you called. That's part of what this book talks about on the Holy Spirit. Garth Black's book, Empowered by the Grace of God. So it was a fun study. There's also a great little book by an author, a friend of mine from Florida, who was many years in the mission field. He's now at a small church in, uh, in central Florida, the Broken Church, defining the narrative of today's church, reaching young people and stuff. And then I have also, some of you weren't aware of this and didn't know what these were, but I actually, on the Heaven book, first I did this, I read the whole book myself into a microphone, and they recorded it, and it's on MP3 CD. So if you know somebody that this would be an encouragement, but they don't read, or their eyesight's bad, but they only listen, they, you can listen to the whole book. Now, um, I also have one on the new book, which is what we've been talking about this week, What Are the Stakes? But the audio that's on it is of, of uh, the first edition. The one that's back there now for sale is a second edition. There's 10,000 more words in the new book. I haven't had time to record that yet. The book just came out three weeks ago on, on Amazon. But if you want the main basis of the book and all the, the stories I started with when it first came out, this is back there, and it's 15. The new book is, is 20. But it was me reading the whole book into a microphone and telling uh, those stories. But I added uh, all the stories we've been talking about this week, like getting attacked in my house and the guy that did $40,000 worth of damage, and then we staked out the city of Longview. All those things have been added, and the new book has 10,000 more words than the old version had. It's called Second Edition, and it's uh, 1995 on, on Facebook, I mean on uh, Amazon. And then the last thing I'll mention is some people are looking for small group material. The Heaven Book is available in workback, workbook format that has fill-in-the-blank, multiple-choice discussion questions, so if you're looking for something for that, I have a few of those uh, here with me, too. Okay, tonight we're going to start with the weapons. I'm going to try to cover two big sections tonight and two big sections tomorrow night and get through most of the material that we, that we uh, need, need to do. Uh, how many people are new here tonight for the first time? Raise your hand high, so... Okay, quick, a quick ketchup without fries, as somebody made fun of me a while ago, fries with those ketchup. No, a quick ketchup is uh, this whole series uh, began because I was writing a book on prayer and spiritual warfare and um, praying that God would give me something to really help people. And one of the elders at the church I attend in Longview called, and a friend of his was not a Christian. He'd been trying to convert the guy to Christ for 25 years. He was very resistant to it because uh, he was mad at God for some stuff that happened uh, a few years ago to his, his oldest son died in a freak accident. And he was just mad at God about that and wanted nothing to do with church. And he said, Steve, he says he has a spiritual warfare problem now. Maybe this is our chance to convert him to Jesus Christ. Can you talk to him? And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll talk to him. And so uh, I met Bill and I said, what's wrong? And he said, I have demons on my property. And I'm thinking they call the wrong guy. We don't talk about demons. Uh, 
and I, I don't know how to help him. And then he said, I'm getting ready to commit suicide. Just wanted to talk to you first. And I realized how serious this was, and he's telling me all the reasons why there's demons on his property, and I'm praying while he's talking. Lord, tell me what to say. He's not a Christian, and he's talking about killing himself. What do I say? Deuteronomy 6 popped in my mind as soon as I prayed, put my word on your gates and doorposts. So we put Bible verses on tent stakes and staked out his land and prayed, and he was baptized, became an active Christian uh, eight days later. He prays for me every day. He texts me before trips, praying for your trip to Paris. And uh, uh, I, I just, you can't make this stuff up. So that led to a whole explosion of other people liking that idea and wanting to do it. So that's what I speak on most of the time. Here's my definition of spiritual warfare. Things happening in the physical world because of the actions of spiritual forces in the unseen world. And prayer affects those unseen forces. This little uh, story I call sticky note prayers. And it's another great example of, you know, you don't need my stakes, you can make sticky notes. God's word is where the power is. I had a call from a lady in Dangerfield one day. Uh, she's not where she was anymore. She's not there anymore. But she said, Steve, I hadn't seen you in two or three years. And uh, something made me call you today. There's another Holy Spirit thing. And uh, she said, what are you doing? And I started telling her about the stakes and the guy was going to kill himself. And she just said, oh, my goodness. She said, the reason I called you is because... Um, we bought this new house, and I've already had people tell me here they live in a house that's got weird things happening at night. We, won't, we were not going to discuss that, but uh, that's part of why uh, Satan's prince of darkness. I'll just say it like that. But she said, uh, when I'm here by myself in this house we just bought, I start feeling guilty for all the wild oats I sowed when I was in high school. I ran with the wrong crowd. I went to drinking and cussing and doing things I shouldn't have done with people I shouldn't have been with. And, and, uh, and when I'm here by myself in this house, when the kids are at school and my husband's at work, I start remembering all these bad things I did. And, and I'm sitting here saying, you know, goodness, God's got to be mad at me. How can he forgive me? You know, that's what a lot of people have tonight. I need to come back to a story about the lady in the nursing home a minute. But but she, she said, I just can't, I can't uh, get those off my mind when I'm here by myself. And I said, okay, let me ask you something. When you became a Christian and you were baptized, did God forgive you of those things? She said, yes. I said, right. Does he remember those things now? She thought for a minute and said, no. I put your sins as far away from you as the east is from the west. He forgives them and forgets them. We can't do that, but God can I said, okay, so God doesn't even remember those things. So if you're being reminded of those things, it can't be God because he doesn't remember them. Who do you think it is? And the light bulb came on, and she said, Satan or a demon? I said, bingo. And so she said, well, you live an hour and a half away. What do I do right now? And I said, well, just write some verses on some sticky notes and put them around your house. And trust God's word. Read the verses out loud and pray for his protection. Just try that. Let me know what happens. Two hours later, she texted me. She said, it worked. I just put sticky notes all over the house, and I started cleaning again and focused on that. And then an hour and a half later, I realized I hadn't thought about those things. Guilt feelings are gone. And I said, see, God's word is still powerful. Trust God's word. I had a lady come up to me tonight in the foyer, and it reminded me I need to tell this story. I was at a... a 
we give special prices to some churches want to give uh, heaven books to the assisted living centers and some of the nursing homes and things like that because a lot of these people are, you know they're never going back to their house they got time to read and they they're not a christian they're scared to die scared to die they're scared they're going to be a floating ghost so we give uh, the church puts there sponsored by so and so and maybe you make a connection and help these people are looking for hope and so I'll go and speak sometimes at these. When I go on some of the trips and, and do a series on heaven, we'll do some things at some of the local assisted living centers. And at the end, I do questions and answers. And I'm going to tell you, these people have been sitting around. They've been thinking of questions about heaven. They ask great questions. It's obvious they're looking at their Bibles, they're studying it, and they're, they're trying to put this together in their mind. And I had a lady one time that stayed through all the questions, and then when everybody else was gone, she, she was just standing at the peripheral real quiet, then she comes up and she said, well, thank you for coming today. Uh, she said, I, uh, I spend about four hours a day just in the Bible now and, and praying and reading because I know God could never forgive me for, for what I've done and how I've lived in the past. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I said, how many people did you murder? I never murdered anybody. I said, really? I said, Paul did. And God let him write half the New Testament. If God can forgive Paul and let him write half the New Testament, I don't think you have a problem. Repent and become a Christian. She started bawling. We don't want to forgive ourselves sometimes, even when God has forgiven us. Satan uses that guilt to paralyze you. If he can't steal your salvation, he's at least going to try to steal your joy about your salvation, and that prevents you from being excited enough to share your faith and help heaven get fuller. Sticky note prayers, it, they work. And then there's this, this is a strange one. When I was, I'm fixing to show you some lists of the demons named in the Bible. There's quite a list of them. And also it shows us what territory each demon was in charge of, according to the Bible. And we'll look at that in a minute. But when I was developing this list, uh, I was sitting at a red light in Longview one day near Good Shepherd Hospital. And about two blocks from Good Shepherd, there was a place that did palm reading and tattoos, uh, satanic tattoos and, and tarot card reading, all these occultic things, right on a corner. And it was called Zazu's. And when I, I was going through this list, I was sitting at this red light, and you know how red light gets stuck sometimes and it, it forgets to turn green and, you're, and, it, and it's when you're there, you know? And so I was sitting at this red light and it was just taking forever and I just started thinking about all those demons, Molech and Chemosh and you know, all these demon names. Is going, and I looked over and saw Zazu's. And I said, oh, goodness, that reminds me of those demons I'm, I'm making a list of in the Bible from all the different verses. And then I thought, Zazu's. And I saw the sign, and it said, uh, you know, palm reading, uh, know your future, uh, tarot card reading, medium, contact your dead relative. And I said, oh, my goodness, that's an occultic connection. I said, in Jesus' name, I prayed that that place would be bankrupt. In Jesus' name. And the light turns green, and I drive off. And I didn't think about it again until a month later and I came by and it had a big sign, for rent. <laughs> now, it had been there 25 years. Now, Steve, what are you saying? If you want something to happen, you call Steve Hemphill and let him pray about it? No, I don't have any special connection to God that you don't have. I'm the only one who thought to pray. God is looking for things to do and involve us through prayer. That's how we join his work. I think any one of you could have prayed that same prayer. In fact, another one like that, I'll tell you. I think I have a slide on this later, but I'll tell you now because it fits with this. I had these cards, the purple cards I gave you with the verses on the back from the stakes. Just, just, just stick it in your pocket. I gave everybody one. If you didn't get one, pick one up tonight. Um, 
I had those in my pocket the first time I'd printed it up, and it was something small and, and easy to uh, pull out and give somebody with all the verses on it, and I could hide it around my friends, you know, and all that, and it had all the verses on the back and a prayer on the front. And I had those in my pocket, and I'm thinking, this is going to be a good tool. I've got to figure out how to use it. And I was, I was speaking at a prayer workshop in, uh, right near West Monroe, Louisiana, where the Robertsons go to church there uh, in, in West Monroe. And one of the couples who came to the prayer seminar that I was one of the speakers on came up to me at the lunch break and said, hey, you're not on the program this afternoon. Would you go with us to the drug rehab center? We teach a Bible study every Saturday at 2 o'clock. Would you come speak at the drug rehab center? It's a methamphetamine rehab. And I said, well, sure. So I go with them, and they get me signed in and through security, and it's a very secure facility. A guard takes us upstairs with an elevator to a locked room with all these guys in it. And we have one hour. In 60 minutes, they're going to open it, we're going to leave, and they're going to go back to their cots. You know. And uh, all these guys recovering from methamphetamine addiction and various stages of getting that done. And they, they introduce me as the steak guy. I'm just telling your steak stories. I get called the steak guy everywhere I go. But, so I start spitting out all these stories that we've been talking about all this week. And for some reason in the middle of this, I've never done this before, but I'm in this group of guys. I'll never see them again. It's a secure facility. They're, they're trying to turn their lives around. I just kind of paused in the middle, and I said, does anybody have a question? And there's a great big muscly guy over on this side. He raised his hand up, and I said, yeah, what is it? He said, I got three demons following me all the time. How do I get rid of them? Well, I kind of hated I'd ask for questions at that point. Um, I'd never had that question before and didn't know what to say. And then I thought about this card I had in my pocket. And I pulled this card out and I said, I tell you what, you know how God spoke the world into existence so his word is powerful? He said, yeah. And I said, well, his word is still powerful. He's not the great I used to could. He still does. I'm going to give you this card that has these verses on it. I'm going to put it in his pocket. And I said, I don't, I don't want you to go anywhere without this card in your pocket. He said, okay. I said, I want you to think of it as a, you watch Star Trek? Like a force field. He said, yeah, I know what that is. I said, just think, think of it as a force field, a protection from God because you're trusting his word. Do you understand the principle I'm saying? He said, yeah, I do. I said, okay, now I'm going to pray for you. Dear God, please take those demons away in Jesus' name. We bind them and gag them in the name of Jesus and send them to the pit so they don't hurt anybody else. Amen. You won't have them anymore. You won't see them anymore. Anybody else got a question? Act like I did it every day. I'd never done that before. Then the other side of the room, this other guy said, I got a question. I'm having those nightmares you talked about. I said, okay, I'm going to give you four of these. One, two, three, four. I want you to put one under each corner of your bedpost. And I want you to sit in the middle of that bed when you go back to your cot in a few minutes and pray that God will make that square area a place of peace and safety for you. Do you understand the principle of it? Yeah, I understand. I said, okay, now I'm going to pray for you. Dear God, take those nightmares away. In Jesus' name, amen. You won't have those nightmares anymore. Anybody else got a question? Act like I did it every day. I've never done that before. I left the facility and I was on the way home and I thought, man, I wish I'd gotten a way to contact those guys to see if it worked. But I just, I didn't want them to think I didn't think it would work, see? So I'm kind of glad I didn't. Four days later, I was driving to uh, Frisco for a Wednesday night thing and my phone rang. Pulled it out and it says, Hammond, Louisiana. I don't know anybody from Hammond. Never heard of Hammond, Louisiana. I said, hello. This lady said, is this Steve Hemphill? Yes, ma'am. Good, I need you to pray for this and this and this. She starts giving me this long prayer list and telling me exactly what needs to happen and how I need to make sure. I said, well, hold on just a second. Time out. Where did you get my number? And why do you want me to pray for this stuff? She said, oh, my aunt has a grandson in a drug rehab center in West Monroe, Louisiana, 
and uh, he was having nightmares every night till you prayed with him and gave him those cards to go under his bedpost. He hadn't had a single bad dream. So I knew you were the one to call. And I said, well, are you a Christian? She said, yeah. I said, then you can pray. Jesus couldn't do many miracles. There's no faith. It's all about your faith. If you say, I'm going to pray, but it won't do any good, I need to call Steve Hemphill to pray, you've got a problem. I can't fix your faith. It's a personal issue. Do you understand? She said, yes, I do, and you're right. But I still want you to pray. I said, okay. So we prayed together. I never heard from her again. Those all fit together. Okay, so let me quickly go through weapons of prayer. Now, uh, weapons that God's given us. Now, prayer's going to be the first one. I've always thought prayer and the Word of God, and that's it. That's our two weapons. And you can go through the, the armor. We'll do that in a few minutes real quickly. Uh, but there's, I'm up to 20. I'm up to 20, and I'll show you them real quick. Um, 1 Peter 3, 12. Eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to those who do what? They pray. To their prayers. Okay? So prayer is the first weapon. Second one is prayer plus touch. I can pray for you, and I can go up and put my hand on your shoulder like I did with that guy and pray with him, and there's something different that happens there. This is Acts 28, verse 8. Uh, his father was sick. Paul went to him and prayed and put his hands on him, and he was healed. So prayer plus touch will be number two. Prayer plus fasting will be number three. Remember Jesus said that one only comes out by prayer and fasting? So there's some demonic entities that are more powerful, and prayer is not enough. I've had people come to me, well, I've prayed and I've prayed. Nothing's better. Have you thought about fasting? Many of y'all are coming to me with these. I've prayed and prayed. Nothing better. Try fasting. Try to get some family members to fast with you for this family member who's walked away from God. That kind comes out except by prayer and fasting. Mark 9, 28 and 29. The other weapon, this is one we all know, is, is the truth, the word of God, the sword of the spirit. Okay? That's number four. It's also mentioned uh, in the armor there, fashion belt around like a uh, truth around you like a belt. Number five is spoken truth. I can know the truth, I can pray the truth, but when I speak the truth, there's a different level of intensity with that. See? It's written, it's written, it's written, is how Jesus responded to uh, the temptations of Satan in the 40 days in the desert. It's written. He always answered with a quote from the Bible. By the way, you can't quote the Bible if you hadn't read it and learned to memorize it. Hide God's word in your heart. There's no substitute for Bible study. And you can't put it under your pillow and get it by osmosis. You carve out time for God. It's a priority thing. So uh, number six is spoken bindings. How can he enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then he'll plunder the house. And we'll see later, we looked at the verse yesterday, what you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Spoken bindings is another form of that, a more powerful form. That's up to number six. Number seven is the spoken rebuke. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord who's chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? So spoken truth is another, and I think there may be one more on that. Yeah, Mark 9, 25. He rebuked the unclean spirit, come out of him and enter him no more. Okay, and there was success. So spoken rebuke is another form of, of weapon. Uh, one more on those. Michael the archangel said to Satan when they were fighting over Moses' body, the Lord rebuke you. Jude, verse 9. Number 8 is a spoken testimony. 
you know, these stories, people love my little stories. They're all true stories. People come tell me those stories, and I repeat, I'm kind of a story collector now. But uh, when you hear my story, you're encouraged. And if you tell me your story, you're, you not only encourage me, you're re-encouraged by retelling that story. I think we need to, we need to share our testimonies more often. I think it's, uh, they overcame how? By the word of their testimony, Revelation 12, verse 11. That's number eight. Okay, so spoken testimony is a weapon. Selfless devotion is another weapon. You know what? God's looking for Navy SEAL Christians. He's looking for Navy SEAL Christians that don't care if they live or die. They care about getting kingdom work done. You know, have you ever thought that we were going on a trip and we always pray, Lord, give us a safe trip? What if a safe trip wouldn't bring him the most glory? Oh, goodness, Steve, you're stepping on toes now. I pray for a safe trip, too. Don't get me wrong. What if we should be praying, Lord, bless this trip that I'm going to take, and if I need to have a fender bender or a flat tire so that the kingdom can be honored and somebody else can join and, and become a Christian, then you make that happen. That's the kind of guy the commander wants on his team. And our commander is looking for... You know what my favorite verse is? My favorite verse is an Old Testament verse. Go look it up. Write this down and go look it up and, and you'll, you'll see why I love it so much. It's 2 Chronicles 16.9. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord search to and fro across the whole world to see whose hearts are fully committed to him so he can support them. God is looking for hearts fully committed to him so he can support them. He's looking for Navy SEAL Christians. And most of us are that lukewarm stuff that he's ready to spit out anyway. We've got to be careful about that. You know, it doesn't say go into all the world if you're on staff. Right? Go into all the world is for every Christian. You're either a missionary or an imposter. One of the two. There's no middle ground. There's no gray angels. They're either on God's side or they're on Satan's side. There's no middle of the road lukewarm stuff that makes him happy. Keep that in mind. That's number nine. Selfless devotion. Revelation 12, verse 11. They defeated him because they didn't love their lives so much they weren't afraid to die. That's a Navy SEAL Christian. We need some Navy SEAL Christians. Did you know worship is also a weapon? This one's from Chronicles, uh, 1 Chronicles 21 to 30. Moab came against Jehoshaphat, and they all bowed before the Lord, and God gave them rest all around, and there's worship involved in that and their defeat. The singers go out, and the army's defeated. And then you see that also when Saul had a demon come on him, what'd they do to fix the problem? They called David to come play praise music, and the demon would go away. They can't stand to be where God's being praised. I've had people tell me that, that uh, the atmosphere in their house changes when they turn on Christian music. Just go home and turn on some Christian music and see if it doesn't enhance your household. Some God-honoring music or some recordings from Camp Deer Run or something that is God-honoring. And I tell you what, it changes the atmosphere. Demons can't stand to be where God is being worshipped and praised. That's number 10. Uh, tithing is also a weapon. Now, I know tithing's Old Testament. Malachi 3 says, I'm the Lord and I don't change, but you've been robbing me at your tithes. And they say, how are we robbing you? You're not giving me a tithe. 9.9% is all you're given, so you got a curse on you. If you give me 10%, I'll give you a blessing. Now, you get to decide if that applies to you or not. It's your choice. I don't think Jesus lowered the bar. I've got a whole lesson on this we don't have time to talk about now. But Jesus didn't lower the bar. What did he do with adultery? In the Old Testament, you had to commit adultery to be guilty. In the New Testament, what did you have to do? Think it. I believe that's raising the bar. So, yes, I realize tithing is Old Testament, but I think the principle is that's a starting point. 
In fact, when you look at the Jewish giving and tithes and offerings, they gave closer to 30% than they gave to 10. But let me tell you, you can't outgive God. And in that uh, Malachi 3 context, when you read the whole context, when he finishes saying, you need to be giving me 10%, he says, test me in this. The only thing in the Bible that he says, test me on. He doesn't want you to test him on anything else. But on tithing, he wants you to test him. He says, test me in this, and, and if you'll do it, I'll open the windows of heaven with blessing for you. I've taught that lesson on a Sunday morning in Tennessee a couple times, and I had some people call me later, and they said, you know what, you taught about tithing, and I, did, I wasn't tithing, and I was giving 5%, that's all I could afford, because I couldn't pay my bills if I gave 10. But on faith, after you said that, I wrote a check for 10%, not knowing how I was going to pay the rest of my bills, and as soon as I wrote that check, I got a raise. When God says, test me in this, he means it. If you're not giving 10%, try it. Email me and let me know what happens. That's number 11. Number 12 is humility. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Humility brings God's help. It's a weapon. Pride comes before a fall. See, that's the opposite. But if you want, you want to use humility as a weapon, it will make a difference in your fight against Satan. If you're sitting there saying, God, why aren't you fixing this? I've been praying forever. That's not called humility. Hit your knees. In humility, try some fasting with it. We all have loved ones we're worried about. That's number 12. 13th is resistance. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. We, we've kind of lost some of our resistance. We've just joined the world and said, well, the world's doing that, or everybody else is doing that, so I do too. God's not looking at that. Remember, Elijah thought he was the last one worshiping him. He said, look, they're all, I'm the last one worshiping you. What did God say? No, you're number 7,001. There's 7,000 others that hadn't bowed the knee to Baal. You're number 7,001. I got them numbered. I know who they are. Resist. Stay faithful, even if the world isn't, even if the rest of your church isn't. God blesses that. Resistance overcomes Satan. It's a weapon. Uh, it's also seen in 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith knowing that the same suffering is experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Resist. Resist. Have faith. Fourteen, uh, now we're starting quickly on the armor, and we'll talk more about that in just a second. Uh, righteousness is a weapon. Breastplate of righteousness. Peace is a weapon. Um, soft answer turns away wrath. Wear the shoes of peace when you spread the gospel. Don't say, quit that or you're going to hell. It's not going to help. They're not going to turn around and go to heaven because you tell them they're fixing to go to hell unless they quit it. Peace is much better. 16, faith is a weapon. It's called a shield. You know, you read any epic battles and watch any shows, the shield, you think of it just as a defensive weapon. What happened? Their, their, their sword gets knocked out of their hand, they take the shield and they bash the guy overhead with it, and now they go pick up their sword. The shield can be a weapon too. It's not just for defense. It can be used for offense. You need the defense, but sometimes you've got to use that for offense too. 17 is salvation. Accept God's salvation as your helmet. The helmet protects your mind where you make decisions whether you're going to follow God or not. Every day you're making decisions that's drawing you closer to God or drawing you further away from God. And they seem like little b steps. Oh, God's over here and it's not that big a step. I'm not that far. You know, so what about social drinking? Just name any number of things you want. Little steps turn into a big distance. Before you know it, little bitty steps take me a long way from God. We need to be careful with those things. Salvation is a weapon. 18, Jesus' blood is a weapon. I know a guy who uh, turned to a life of sin, grew up as a strong Christian man. His parents were Christians, and he was active in church and sang with the youth group and, and went on mission trips and uh, 
and he just walked away from everything one day and, and moved far away and started living in an ungodly way and in an immoral way. And one day he was kind of at the, in the pig pen like the prodigal son and he just realized he was in a bad neighborhood and he had drug people all around him and he got scared and he, and he, he decided to walk outside and walk his property and play, pray the blood of Jesus around his property. He just said, I pray the blood of Jesus. I need Jesus' protection. I know I'm not where I ought not to be, God, and I know I'm doing things I shouldn't do. I know I need to change, but I'm asking right now, I'm just, I'm going back to my roots. I'm praying the blood of Jesus. And within 30 days, he had been able to walk away from that evil lifestyle and came home and went back to church, went back to his family. The blood of Jesus is a powerful weapon. They overcame by the blood of Jesus, Revelation 12, verse 11. That's number 18. And then 19 is angels. And I'm not saying that you, you say, well, you're not the one in charge of sending the angels. God is, but when you pray, angels are part of the weapons God uses. You see it all through the Bible, and I've had so many instances in the modern life where people have said the same thing uh, to me. So I said 20, it's 19 so far. Here's the thing. Think it, and we talk about, I got the little inset there of the woman that was trying to issue a blood, that was trying to touch Jesus. She thought it first, and then she believed it. If I touch him, I'll be healed. And then she, she spoke it. She said, I've got to do that. I'm going to do that. And she spoke it, and then she acted on it. And Jesus didn't turn around and say, you disobedient woman, you should have been yelling unclean. He said, sister, your faith made you well. According to your faith, you've been made well. You see that over and over in Jesus' ministry. So action, the act of faith. Let me tell you another interesting story. This happened uh, after my, uh, my, uh, my dad died, and I started researching heaven because there were no books on heaven. Um, I was spending a couple hours a day, breakfast and lunch, by myself, reading the Bible and researching for heaven and praying that God would help me find heaven. I knew it had to be in there, and I found lots of things about heaven in the Bible nobody was talking about. And, and so um, a guy called me out of the blue that I barely knew. And this guy said, I'd been doing this for maybe three years, studying every day. And this guy called, and he said, Steve, uh, I don't know how to tell you this. I've never had this happen before. I said, well, wh what is it? He said, uh, God wants you to write a book about your dad, about heaven. I said, you never met my dad. He said, I know, but God wants you to write a book. Well, I sort of ignored that. A year later, another guy called. He didn't know dad either. After it happened twice, I said, okay, I'm hard-headed. Maybe I should go ahead and try to do this. So I started trying to think, well, how am I? I'm not a journalist. I'm not an English major. Don't you have to have that to be able to write a book? I'm not qualified. I'm a, I'm a marketing guy. I'm a salesman. How does this fit? Can't somebody else do it? And, and I kept reading. I was enjoying the study, but I had no interest. In, you got to sit still to write a book. I don't sit still. Ask my wife. I, I, don't, I don't sit still. I hit the pillow. I'm out. I get up. I go. I don't sit still. you got to sit still a long time to write a book. I was not interested in that. And so when I finally, that happened twice, I said, okay, maybe I need to do this. I started praying a real unique prayer. I said, God, uh, if I'm going to have to do this, I need, I need your help to get it right. I don't want to mess this up. Somebody might read it, you know. I don't want to lead them astray or anything. And so I started praying, you know, oh, man, how, how do I do this? And I had been color-coding my Bible with all the different things, themes that were connected to heaven. And, and I was realizing, well, that's connected to this. And, oh, yeah, this is, that makes sense now. And I was connecting dots and learning things. And that was a lot of fun. But I still said, how am I going to write this? What's, a what's each chapter should be focused on? What title? And I, I started praying about that. Lord, give me the chapters and the titles. Well, 
I told you, I'm high energy, and I sleep pretty good. I mean, you don't have to rock me to sleep or anything. And so one night, I woke up at 3 in the morning, and it was like I was listening to a recorded message just playing in my head. And, I, and it was kind of long, and I listened to the whole thing, and that's interesting. And I started to doze off, and it started over. So I got my attention, and the whole thing went through my head again. And uh, it stopped, and I started to doze off again. And it started over a third time, and I said, okay, Lord, I'll write it down. So I got up, and I went in the bathroom, and I got some sticky notes out of the drawer, and I wrote it down. Chapter 1 is this. Chapter 2 is this. Chapter 3 is this. That's how I got the chapters and the titles of the chapters for my book on heaven. I know that sounds crazy, but that's what happened. I'm not smart enough to have figured that out. I'll just, I'll just tell you. I'm not. And so the book came out, and Harding asked me to come speak, and they gave me this little bitty classroom that seated 15, and 120 people showed up, and they had to move me to the chapel. And, and so it was really interesting how that happened. Well, there was this young lady named Sue Park. She was S-O-O Sue because she's from South Korea. She was a foreign exchange student. She heard all three lessons, and she met two of my boys went to Harding, and she was in the chemistry class with them. And so one, one day uh, after she'd heard my lessons and she bought the book, she, uh, she told uh, Blake, my middle son, said, uh, tell your dad next time he comes up, I want to talk to him. So we were there one weekend, and Blake said, Sue Park wants to talk to you. So me and Marilyn went to the student center there at Harding, the hub, and, and sat down and talked to Sue Park for over an hour. She told me her whole story. She said, I was a foreign exchange student from South Korea. And actually, I got put with a Church of Christ family in South Texas. And so they went to church every Sunday, and I was an atheist. But I didn't want to be home by myself, so I went to church with them. And I started listening to the preacher, and I became a Christian, and I've been baptized, and I'm at Harding, and, and I'm... I'm trying to convert my family. She said, but let me tell you something, Steve. Or she called me Mr. Hemphill. She said, Mr. Hemphill, I, I was scared to die because I was scared of heaven because I didn't want to be a floating ghost. Now, the Bible doesn't talk about floating ghosts. It doesn't say that heaven, but a lot of people think that. And so she said she had made a list of questions about heaven and every time she was at church or a Bible class or one of her Harding classes and heaven was mentioned, she'd reach in her Bible and pull out that list and look for answers to those questions on heaven. She said, nobody even answered one question until I came to your three lessons and I bought your book. And she said, I want you to know something. Your book answered every question on my list in the same order I had them written down. Chapter 1 answered the first question. Chapter 2 answered the second question. Chapter three. Let me tell you something. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. This story is um, a little disturbing because it illustrates how Satan is focused on our kids. Sometimes even starting at a young age. But I want to share it with you because it's important. It is in the old version of the book, which is the audio that's here, and it's in the new version of What Are the Stakes. I was in North Texas speaking at an elders and preachers event on Saturday. There were three speakers. I was one of the three. And, uh, and so I, I talked about these, these stories and these things. And then I had a book table like I have here. And after it was over, I went in the lobby and I met some of the preachers. And they were coming around asking some questions and, and stuff. And I noticed one real tall guy standing off kind of at the edge of the crowd. And he would just kind of just had his arm crossed just staring right at me. And so I kind of met eyes with him, and I said, do you, do you need to talk to me? And he said, yes, when you finish, privately. I need to talk to you. I said, oh, okay. So in about 30 minutes, everybody was gone and going home, and me and him were the only guys still at the church in the lobby. We sat down in a pew in the lobby, and he said, uh, I have three kids, and uh, we homeschool. 
And um, I've had some financial trouble, but I have a good job now, and we're working through that. He said, my oldest daughter is named Emma, and she's 10 right now. But three years ago, when Emma was only seven, um, she started acting strange and saying very ugly things, and um, her schoolwork suffered. We, we homeschooled, but she was, she was less attentive, and she was more argumentative, and, and I, I said, so she was saying ugly things. Yeah, I said, what kind of ugly things? Well, things like, uh, I hate you. Uh, I'm going to get a knife and cut you. I'm going to make you bleed. I'm going to kill you. She said that to her brother and sister and to us. She's seven. He said, she didn't learn this at school. We homeschool. And I said, okay, so, so what happened? He said, well, um, we knew she was repeating that from somebody else. At seven, and she's at homeschool, she's not, you know, just making this up. She's heard some other kid say it, and she's repeating it. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to cut you with a knife and make you bleed. She couldn't have come up with that. We, we've been homeschooling ever since she was, you know, young. And so um, we sat her down finally one day and said, Emma, we know that you're repeating this, that these are words somebody else has said and you're repeating. Who said these words? And he said, Steve, it took a long time to get this out of her. And... Uh, Finally, she revealed it. She said she learned it from Legba, L-E-G-B-A. And they said, Emma, that's great. We're glad you told us. Who is Legba? She said, I don't know, Daddy. He's, he's the one that sits at the foot of my bed every night and watches me while I sleep. Demonic. Well, they didn't want to tell anybody. Everybody's going to think we're crazy. But things got worse and worse, and finally they went to the preacher of this church Christ they went to in, uh, in North Texas and uh, told the preacher that they needed to talk to him in confidence. He couldn't tell even the elders about this. And he said, okay, what's going on? And, and uh, they told him the whole story. And the preacher had read my prayer Satan hates book had come out and there were some hints in there that gave him, so let me come pray. Prayer's powerful. Let me come over and pray with Emma. So he said, that was three years ago, Steve. And he came over with her and prayed and wow, things got a lot better. I mean, there was, there was a big, big difference. However, uh, we still see hints of that sometime, and we're still worried about her. And her, and her attitude still isn't what it was before all this started, and, and her schoolwork is still suffering at times. It's, it goes through these cycles. And he said, I love the idea of the, the stakes with the verses on them, but I don't have any money at all. And I said, then they're free. Let me just give you some, and you take them home, put them around your house, and, and uh, let me know how, how it works. Let me know if it helps. And he said, well, thank you so much, and we parted. So ended up speaking at the church the next day and then going home Sunday night. And I was, I was tired and went to bed kind of early that Sunday night, which means way before 10 o'clock for me. Uh, 10 o'clock's normal bedtime. And I went to bed, and that night I dreamed about Emma. That's never happened to me before, but I dreamed that I needed to call the dad and ask him to ask Emma some very specific questions. And so that was strange, but I decided to do it. So the next day uh, I got up and took care of my stuff getting home, getting unpacked and everything, and about lunchtime, I said, I need to call Emma's dad and, and tell him. So I got called, and it was noon, and he had just come home for lunch, so he actually picked up the phone. He just walked in the door, and I said, hey, this is Steve Hemphill, and he said, oh, yeah, how you doing? I said, good. I said, uh, this may sound strange, but uh, I had a dream about Emma last night, and, and I, think, I think God wants you to, to ask her these three questions. Write them down and, and ask her just like I tell you. He said, okay, what are they? I said, did Legba touch her? Did Legba uh, give her anything? 
And did Legba introduce her to anyone? And uh, he wrote it down. He said, okay, well, we homeschool. She's right here. I'll call you right back. So five minutes he called back, and he said he didn't touch her or give her anything. But when I said, Emma, did, did he introduce you to anyone? And she said, oh, yeah, all, all his friends. Oh, goodness, if, if he's demonic, so are they. And they said, well, Emma, do, do you remember when this first started three years ago and the preacher came over and prayed about this with you? She said, oh, yeah, and after that he couldn't speak. What you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth, he prayed and bound, but he didn't cast him out, I guess. And so he would come every night and sit at the foot of her bed, but he couldn't talk. And she said, uh, so he'd sit there and, and his mouth was shut, and I could tell he was getting mad. And they said, well, did he ever leave? And she said, oh, yeah, one night, finally, I realized since he couldn't talk to me anymore, he would start looking at my sister in the other bed. And that made me mad. He was going to start talking to her. So I sat up and I said, you leave my sister alone. You need to leave now. And that's when he left, when the little girl finally said, get out. And I said, okay, there's one more question you need to ask her. I don't know how I knew this, but I just knew in my spirit there was one more question. I said, write this down. There's another question. And he got his pencil and I said, ask her, Emma, is there a magic word or secret way? Oh, I left that one part. She said, he also invited me to go to Funland with him. Funland? What's Funland? She said, Daddy, I don't know. I thought it was like an amusement park. I never went. But he wanted me to go to Funland with him. And that's when I said, there's another question. So here was the question. I said, write this down. Is there a magic word or secret way you can always go to Funland? See, Satan's wanting a back door into your life. You got some problem from years ago, that's a backdoor way in. You need to renounce it, confess it, and live godly. You used to look at pornography, don't do that anymore. Renounce it, confess it, get help, focus on the kingdom. Stay in the word, go to church, read your Bible, tithe, be faithful, share your faith, the things we should be doing. Otherwise, there's a backdoor in your life. That's what Satan wanted, I thought. There's a, he wants a backdoor into Emma's life. So they said, okay, we'll ask her and call you right back. He, he called me back in five minutes. He said, Steve, we asked her exactly like you said. Emma, is there a magic word or secret way you can always go to Funland if you want to? When we asked her that, she hung her head and looked at the floor for a long time. And we just sat there and waited. We weren't going to do anywhere until we got the answer. And after a long time, and she realized that we, were, we weren't going to move on until we got the answer, she looked up and she said, yes, there is, Daddy, but I'm not allowed to tell you that. Why would a 10-year-old girl tell her own parents she wasn't allowed to tell them something? Because he threatened something against her or against her family. You reveal that, I'm going to hurt your sister or I'm going to kill your parents or I'm going to do this or that to you. I don't know what he threatened, but that's, that's what works with kids. So uh, later, by the way, she was baptized and became a Christian and all these problems went away. But when that story happened, I called a friend of mine, a preacher in Little Rock, and I told him the whole thing. 30 minutes later, he called me back, and he said, Steve, have you Googled Legba on the Internet? No. He said, go look it up. I invite you to look it up. Don't just trust me. Go read for yourself. Legba is a voodoo god from Haiti, and there's all tons of websites on how to worship Legba. There's a specific chant you make. There's a procedure. You put an altar in the backyard. His colors are red and white. You sacrifice a chicken. You sprinkle the blood. You sow salt over your left shoulder, and you chant this chant. Papa Legba, Papa Legba, you're the one, and it goes on. How would a seven-year-old girl, when this started, how would a seven-year-old girl learn the name of a demon god from Haiti, a voodoo god? What do little kids do when they see somebody new? What's your name? My name's Legba, honey. What's your name? 
And that probably is how it started. Let me tell you something. Satan is after our kids. This family was going to church, and they were Christians. Satan's tackle boxes. Quickly, we're going to go through a few of his, his uh, I've already told you that story, a few of his uh, ideas and approaches. God made a dimension we can't see yet. He created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth, things we can't see, Colossians 1, verse 16. The rest of the verse said, things we can't see, thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen. There are kingdoms in the unseen that God has set up, and there's thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in those kingdoms. Go look it up in your Bible, Colossians 1, verse 16. I don't have time to tell that story. Uh, let me show you this list of Bible uh, uh, demons named in the Bible. And I'll call them territorial authorities because of what the Bible says about them. Here's the list. This, there's two pages. They're in alphabetical order. Uh, I invite you to look up some of those verses if you want to and check them in your Bible. I can't pronounce all the names. Uh, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, a to T, Tartak is the last one. And I want you to notice on this list, this two-page list, that on the left is the name of the demon, and on the right is a Bible verse where that demon is mentioned. But look what's in the middle. It's the territory the Bible says that demon is in charge of. Do you see any blank areas in the middle? Every demon named in the Bible, the Bible tells us what territory, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen, it tells us what territory that demon is in charge of. That demon has authority over that. This is scripture. Go look it up in your, in your Bible. So every demon listed had a territory. I have yet to find, there may be one, you may find one, but I have yet to find a demon named in the Bible that doesn't tell, that the Bible doesn't tell us what that demon was over. Sometimes it was a city. Sometimes it was a, a region or a territory or a nation or a people. See, those are, but it was always listed. All the ones I found so far, they're, they're listed, okay? So there's a chain of command. There's principalities, powers, spirits, and authorities. There's generals, captains, sergeants, and privates. There's Satan, there's these other ones, and I don't know who's in charge of who. We know Satan's the biggest, baddest, bad guy. He's prince of the rule of the air. He's the god of this world, according to Jesus. And there's other ones under him, and I think C.S. Lewis had it right when he wrote Screw Tape Letters. He based it on these verses that we're talking about. Okay? So I thought, if every demon has a territory, could every territory have a demon? Which also seems to, to uh, uh, be reinforced by the Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3. To the angel of the church at Smyrna, write this. To the angel of the church at Thyatira, write this. To the angel of the church in Paris, Texas, at Lamar Avenue, tell them this. There's angels in the unseen over territories, too. We see that in Revelation 1, 2, and 3, and you see that in, in, the, in the hierarchy listed. Principalities, powers, spirits, and authorities. It's listed that way, the same way every time. Just like saying there's always generals who are over captains, who are over... Sergeants are over privates. There is a hierarchy. Okay? They report to each other. Some angels defied God. This is Jude, verse 6. I remind you of the angels who didn't stay within the limits of authority God gave them. They left the territory they were assigned to and followed Satan in rebellion against God. Okay? They had an assigned territory to report to God and manage it properly, and they rebelled and left the territory, left the limits of authority God gave them. Okay? So that's the... the the idea here. So the prayer, I call it surgical prayer. Cut to the heart of the problem. The prayer I would, I would pray for that verse is, Lord, deliver me from the angel who left their places of authority following Satan in rebellion against you. Or, or deliver me from their plans here where I am. Because they got a plan. Strategies of the devil is, is, is not just one guy for the presidents of the countries. It's for each of us. 
Okay? See, there's two kingdoms and one choice. When God wants us to be fishers of men, Satan is fishing for men too. He sets traps. Sometimes it's money, sometimes it's alcohol, sometimes it's drugs, sometimes it's sex. When you look at the TV nowadays, mostly it's sex. The whole nation is obsessed with it. Okay? Satan sets traps. What's your trap? You better avoid that cheese, whatever it is in your life. But see, on the other hand, God offers rewards. Satan promotes instant gratification. Joan Rivers used to say in one of her comedy routines, we're the only nation in the world that stands in front of a microwave where we can bake a potato in four minutes and say, hurry up! We're in a hurry to get everywhere, and I'm, I'm as bad as anybody. I'm probably one of the worst. Okay? Satan promotes instant gratification. God promotes deferred gratification. Heaven rewards. Be faithful. Wait. It's coming, and you won't believe how good it is. Because rewards are God's idea. I've got a whole chapter on that in the heaven book. So now quickly I want to go through Ephesians 6. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but uh, there's, there's strength in God. Verse 10, be strong in the Lord. Get dressed for battle. Put on all the armor so you can make it through. I know people who don't get out of bed in the morning until they pray on their armor. Lord, I put on the breastplate of righteousness. I put on the belt of truth, the shoes of peace, the shield of faith, the Sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, the helmet of salvation, help me today to bring peace. They pray that, that armor on before they get out of bed. Not a bad idea. The armor's vital so that you can stand firm. See, without the armor, you're vulnerable. Okay? Evil forces are organized. When it talks about strategies of the devil, it implies intelligence, planning, preparation, and multiple approaches. Strategies requires intelligence. The enemy is not flesh and blood people. Please notice this verse. I had a guy in, in Wyoming one time tell me, when Jesus ascended, all the demons went with him. They're not that problem today. Well, Ephesians says there is. We're not fighting against human enemies. But rulers, plural, authorities, plural, forces of cosmic darkness, forces is plural, and spiritual powers, plural, in the heavenly realms. It's not just Satan. There's a whole bunch of angels that rebelled with Satan against God, and he's got hell. Your true enemy is invisible. I've heard people say, I am my own worst enemy. No, you're not. Not even close. Your worst enemy is a non-flesh and blood entity who's trying to get you into pornography, into drugs, into alcohol, anything to get you away from God. Because a little bit becomes a lot, and before you know it, it's a bad habit, and you can't get rid of it. That's how Satan works. Evil forces have a chain of command, and we talked about it over and over. Rulers, authorities, powers, and spirits. That's verse 12. Your enemies are powerful. Don't just play this down. The Bible calls them mighty powers. Mighty powers. That's verse 12. And it's plural. I've already said that, but each one of those is a plural word. God's armor ensures your survival, so get it on. Now, take it all up. Then you can stand firm, and you've got to know the truth. You can't know the truth unless you read the truth, study the truth, memorize the truth. Be in the truth. There's no substitute for that. Put on righteousness, that breastplate, do it. Walk in peace. You know, have a, have a kind word for people, have an encouragement. Faith is the shield to stop the arrows. We know they're going to come and wear that helmet of salvation, okay? Then it says, use the scripture. Wield the word of God. You can't wield it if you don't know it. So know the sword, okay? Now here's what nobody's talking about, or very few. I've heard very few. Uh, raise your hand if you know the answer to this question. That's Ephesians 6. We just went through it. 
What does that chapter say to do after you have the armor on? Raise your hand if you know the answer to that question. It is a four-letter word. A lot of people say stand, but I've heard it down here. It's pray. It says in verse uh, 18, now we're dressed for battle. Now pray all the time on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers. Verse 18. Pray for me to have the right words at the right time for the right moment for the right person. God knows what those words are. I have had that happen. That's what happened with Travis, the story I told you a while ago. I had the right words at the right moment. He was going down a wrong path, and out of the blue, I think of Travis and call him. That's God. Pray I can boldly explain the good news. I want to talk about that boldly real quick. Acts 4, one of the apostles has been killed, another one's in prison. They're going to have a church prayer. It'd be like, uh, let's just pick John Cannon. John Cannon used to be preacher here, and they had killed John Cannon. The government had arrested and executed John Cannon, and then Jared's in jail, and we're going to have a church prayer about that. What would you pray for? I'll tell you what I'd pray for. I'd say, dear God, please remove this government who's keeping us from spreading the gospel. Go read Acts 4. That's not what they prayed. Raise your hand if you know what they prayed. They said, Lord, please give us boldness to stand up for you and tell the truth in spite of the governmental opposition we're facing. That's what they prayed for. John Cannon's dead and Jared's in jail and they're praying for boldness to keep sharing the truth. Woo! Did God like that prayer? Go read Acts 4. He was so happy he shook the building. Did God answer that prayer? The very next verse said, and they shared the truth with boldness. He's waiting for you to pray for boldness to share the truth. And he'll give you the right words at the right moment. Just pray about it first. A lot of us haven't shared, and I'm one of these. I hadn't shared my faith and told this testimony to somebody else because I'm afraid they're going to ask me a question I can't answer. So I'm going to go learn all the answers first before I go, it don't work that way. We've got a Holy Spirit that helps us have the answer. I've seen it happen over and over and over now. Have faith. God can do anything. And pray for God's plan for Jew and Gentile alike in the same unified church. Do we need unity today? I believe we do. One thing Jesus prayed for that I really hadn't seen. So pray, keep praying, pray for the right words, pray for boldness, pray for unity. Prayer is the battle. When you have all the armor on, hit your knees. Prayer is where the battle really is. If I could just get us all to get excited about that, there's no telling what could happen with Lamar Avenue Church of Christ in Paris, Texas, and with individual lives of people who are already here. You'd be adding on. I'll guarantee you'd be adding on. Okay, I probably I have no idea what time it is. I'm sorry. I was trying to get through all the slides. Let's, let's end with a prayer, and then we can, I'll hang around if you have a question. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for all these people who've come on a Monday night when they had a lot better things to do than come hear a weird ADD speaker who, uh, who talks too fast. So, Lord, uh, I pray a special blessing on each of these families represented. Each of us has people we love who are walking away from God. So, Father... Put those people on our hearts and help us to have the right words in those prayers. And I pray you'd put the right people around those people so that they can come back to faith and to be faithful Christians to you. Because, Father, we want to be in heaven with them. Give us the right words at the right moment for our loved ones and for other people's loved ones who are sitting around us. Sometimes I can say something to somebody else's relative and they can say something to mine. So put the right people in the right places so those things can happen. And we trust you that this is going to happen, Lord. Give us faith to, to believe it and watch you do it. 
Give us eyes to see it when it happens and remind us it's you who did it when it's all said and done. Use us to your glory. Give us the boldness we need to speak up and say those words because so many times, Father, me and a bunch of other people here have not said words we ought to have said. Forgive us and help us to do better with that in the future. Give us a deeper level of commitment. Give us the right words at the right moment and put us in the places where we can say those words. And Father, we just honor you and we'll be reminded that you're the only one who could do this when it's all over. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. See you tomorrow night at 7.